Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, how you doing? My name is Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to message number four in this powerful series called Mercy and Grace, uh, the power and the glory of God. So um, let's just dive right in here because I've got so much that I want to cover. And I'll mention this a little later. It would go into much, much more detail in the audio series. I always provide the audio series to go along with all of the free video series that we post just because there's some people really want to go deeper and study it out more. So here we go. You know, the Bible talks about in the New Testament how that when we come uh, before God, that what we come to is the throne of grace. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 4.16, which I'll read a couple of times in this message, tells us, let us come boldly to the throne of grace uh, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Now, so basically, and, and there's so many other places that we could go, but, I, but to make this more concise, I want to just go right here. To come boldly has to do so much with having confidence, with having peace, you know, with not being fearful. And honestly, I don't know if people realize what a privilege it is for us to be able to come before God anytime that we want to with any situation that we want to come. You know, in the Old Testament, only the high priest could go in what they call the Holy of Holies. Now, I'll, I'll have a new series coming out before too long where I'm going to go into the uh, internal hierarchy of the tabernacle and how that is actually uh, based on the internal hierarchy of man or the internal architecture of man. So be watching for that if you want to understand more about approaching God, about meeting him face to face and why we can do it and, and nobody ever could before. But, you know, in the Old Testament, it was such a, it was just such a fearful thing to come before God. Now, understand, it's not because God wanted you to be afraid. There is just so much bad theology out there that presents this concept that the Old Testament uh, or the Old Covenant was based on fear, and uh, the New Covenant is based on love. Well, no, that's not true. And there is the concept that the, old, that the Old Covenant was based on works, and the New Covenant is based on grace. That is, that is not a true and honest comparison. God has always been motivated by love. Love has always been the only intention that drove all of his actions and decisions. And, uh, and the real truth is God never wanted fear. You said, wait a minute, the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord. Well, the fear of the Lord is not the fear of him hurting you. The fear of the Lord talks about an awe and a respect that inspires love and worship. And in fact, it's talking about having this sense of, of valuing God so much that the thing that you would fear more than anything else would be something that would hurt that relationship. And that's what the fear of God was about in the Old Testament. But God has never changed. His name means he will never change, among other things. So anyhow, God's always been the same. But the difference was, under the Old Covenant, 
if a person were to encounter the presence of God, man, they would be overwhelmed with fear because in their heart, they would know that they were not clean, that they were not righteous, therefore they could not really be acceptable of God. It would be the condemnation of their own heart, not the condemnation of God, that would make them afraid of standing before God, you know, standing before a perfect God as an imperfect man. But now, because of what Jesus has done, we should be able to come boldly before the throne of grace. And, we, you know, th this means several things. Number one is that we need to know what we're doing. We need, where are we going? What kind of throne are we, are we going to the judgment seat? Or where are we going? No. In fact, the Bible teaches in the book of James that mercy always triumphs over judgment. So when you go to the heart of where God is, you're not going to just find him sitting on a judgment seat. You're going to find him sitting on a mercy seat. And that's exactly what you find when you come into the presence of God. And the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament tabernacle, and then later on in the Old Testament temple, gave us a model to see that and to understand that that's what we would be doing in the new covenant. Now, so first of all, we, we've got to come without fear. You know, if you're in fear, you can't be in faith. If you're in fear, you can't be in love. If fear is motivating you, that's coming out of your own heart. It's not coming from God. It's not God wanting you to feel that way. It's not the Holy Spirit making you feel that way. It is something about really about your conscience, because you've been washed, if you're a believer, you've been washed in the blood of Jesus, and if you trust the blood of Jesus to cleanse you, you will not have fear when you go into the presence of God. But also, it's important to know that the throne that you're going to is not the judgment seat, that you're going to the throne of grace. Now, going to the throne of grace guarantees you that there's two things that you are going to discover when you come into that place, you're going to dis discover mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of theological background to make, help you understand, you know, faith doesn't just come out of thin air. Faith doesn't come just because you have decided to believe something. That's a starting place when you decide, but faith is built on what God has said, what God has promised. And we have some promises of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can always believe and trust. If you go back to the beginning of this section here, it's not the very beginning of the chapter, but in Hebrews 4.14, it starts talking about how that Jesus is now our high priest. Uh, he says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession of faith. So, you know, be secure. Hold on to your confession of faith. Don't waver. Don't give up because we have a reason to be totally confident whenever we come before God. But verse 15 starts explaining that whole process and why it works this way. He says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. So, you know, in the Old Testament, you go before a high priest. Now, if he's self-righteous, he's going to be looking down a big old long legalistic nose at you, and he's going to be thinking, Man, you're disgusting. Uh, I would never do that. And that's kind of the way we feel, I think, sometimes when we go to God and we start trying to work out our problems, is we're afraid that he's going to look down on us. He's going to judge us. He's going to condemn us. He's going to put us down. No, that is not what's going to happen, because here is where you get your assurance 
of exactly what you're going to experience when you come before God. He says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. And here's why. He says, he was in all points tempted just as we are yet without sin. So if Jesus, and see, one of the basic things that people do not really believe about Jesus, and actually the apostle John says this is because they're being influenced by the spirit of the Antichrist. And he says, anybody that doesn't believe that Jesus really became a man in human flesh with a real human body um, is really under the influence of Antichrist thinking. Jesus said explicitly that the very only, the only reason he could work miracles was not because he was the son of God, but because he was the son of man. And, and so you start looking at these references about the son of man uh, and how he uses that terminology as, to, as opposed to when he would talk about the son of God. And you start realizing he was the son of God. He was the son of man, both, but he emptied every attribute, every power, every strength that he had whenever he came to planet earth and became a man in every single way. He never fought and won a single battle because he was the son of God. He never worked a single miracle because he was the son of God. Everything he did, whether it was in ministry, whether it was in helping people, it didn't really matter. Everything that he did, he did as a man yielded to the spirit of God. So he becomes the perfect model for us. But then you realize if he was a man with a real body, he had, he had desires. Now, people flip out over this, so, but just stop and think. The Bible says that, we can, that every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires, or the King James word is lust, but that always sounds like something very nasty and you know, that somebody's already given into. But no, the word lust just means desire. So in order for Jesus to be tempted, he had to be a real man and have the same desires of the flesh that we have. Now, the difference between Jesus and us, he became the perfect model for us because when he, every time he was tempted, he yielded to the Holy Spirit and he trusted what the word of God said. And so he always, always, always won every battle. So this means, number one, when you come before him, you are not going to meet with self-righteousness. You are not going to meet with condemnation. You are not going to meet with somebody who wants to shame you and put you down. But most importantly, you're not going to meet with somebody who fails to understand your struggle. Remember, we talked about this uh, either last week or the week before, you know, how that God said he's going he's to understand. Of course, God the Father has never been tempted. God the Father doesn't have a fleshly body. He can't be tempted. But he said he's going to understand how you got where you are. And, and that's why he can have compassion on us. You know, we don't just wake up one day and say, hey, I believe I'll just blow up my marriage today. Or, hey, I believe I'll just, I believe I'll destroy my ministry and, and destroy thousands of people that are following me in the ministry. People don't just wake up one day and do that. That is a journey that begins with temptation and ends with, uh, uh, with giving into those desires. Well, Jesus had the temptation, but he won the battles. But that means first and foremost, he will always understand. And you can take that right back to Exodus 34 and review those scriptures again. Go back and listen to the messages, uh, the messages where I talked about that kind of stuff. But, uh, but one of the great things is, even though he was tempted, he was without sin. 
you know what that tells you? That tells you that temptation is not sin. I know so many believers that if they get into a desire or a lustful situation, they just give up because they think, see, I can't win. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm already wanting this. Let me tell you something. You want what you want because of your flesh. It's the desires of the flesh. Everybody has a flesh and all people are tempted in the same way. It might, might not be in the specific ways, but that's one of the things that uh, Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 10. Um, we, are, we are all tempted in like manner. We all face the same challenges in one shape, form, or fashion. None of us ever have the right to be self-righteous or, or, or you know, wanting to put other people down because they're struggling with something. But here's the difference between Jesus and a good pastor. Thank God for the great pastors out there that really are compassionate and really do help people. But you know yourself, there's a world of ministers and deacons and elders and counselors that will look at you like you're scum when they find out what your real temptation is. And the real truth is, and you know, we, I think that's one of the first things I ever uh, uh, talked about as far as my frustration with the church. You know, uh, as a new believer, I came to church and I realized because I came off the streets, man, I could read people pretty quick and I could pick up on people who were con artists. I could pick up on people who were covering things up and lying. And, you know, church was a place uh, in the denominational church. And, and back in those days, church was a place where people went to pretend like they had it all together. Well, when you all accept each other, when you have any group of people and they all accept each other because everybody thinks everybody's perfect, then that means it is too dangerous to ever admit what you're struggling with and get the help to ever get out of that situation. That's why so many Christians have the same struggles, you know, 50 years after they get saved that they had the day after they got saved and sometimes the day before they got saved because they can't talk about them. It's not safe to talk about them. You know, well, thank God there's a lot of compassionate pastors and counselors out there that you can talk to, and they're going to have they're going to have mercy. But let me tell you the one thing a pastor can't give a pastor can can accept you mercifully, but a pastor cannot give you grace. Nobody can give you grace other than it being a manifestation of the Holy Spirit working in and through your heart. So, so come boldly, he says. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and grace in the time of help. Now, one of the things we have to look at this, and you know this, if you've been out, you know, if you listen to various preachers, you know that in general, the great majority, or no, not the great majority of preachers, but the great majority of preachers who consider themselves grace preachers, uh, basically have redefined words. I don't think they've done it intentionally. I don't think they're trying to deceive anybody. But um, if you were to ask somebody, uh, what, what, is, what is grace? One of the first things, if, if they're kind of in that extreme, they're going to say, well, Jesus is grace. Well, no, the Bible doesn't say he's grace. The Bible says he was filled with grace. He was covered over with grace. Now, he is graceful, but he, he is not grace. And, uh, and, and, and if you question them more, they say, well, you know, mercy, grace, love, compassion. So all of these words that are very important individual words are turned into synonyms uh, that all mean the same thing. They all, they all mean grace in some shape, form, or fashion. 
Well, you know, that, that won't send you to hell believing in something like that, but I'll tell you what it will do. It will limit what you can experience from God. It can limit the type of help. But I want, here's, here's what I want you to understand. And this is so important. Mercy is more of, of compassion. It's more willing to be accepting. Mercy doesn't uh, 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 give us what we deserve. It always gives us better than we deserve. So mercy really isn't the same as grace. Mercy is the emotional state of being of a sympathetic Savior who says, when you come, I'm, I'm looking to help you. I am searching for ways to get you out of your situation. I'm going to be, I'm going to be on your side. I'm going to be your advocate. So mercy is what makes us able to come before the throne of grace boldly. Knowing the difference between mercy and grace becomes incredibly important right here. So, you know, again, Jesus having experienced the same temptations as us means he's going to be understanding. It means he's going to be merciful. But that has little to do with whether or not you're going to overcome that sin. You know, uh, different people, you know, legalistic preachers, they, they talk about overcoming sin for all the wrong reasons. Uh, they talk about overcoming sin, uh, you know, so that God will love you and overcoming sin so you can be righteous. And, not, you know, and none of it is scriptural because we are made righteous as a free gift uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. But, uh, but the real truth is the best way to understand sin is to understand that sin is self-destructive and sin is destructive to the people you love, to the people around you. So I don't want to just approach God and know that he loves me and accepts me. I, you know, and I hear this from people all the time. One of the great examples that I use is uh, uh, Whitney Houston uh, did an interview with Diane Sawyer uh, about 10 years before she died. And this was when she first got, you know, got on drugs and bless her heart. She was trying to convince America that she wasn't on drugs and man, her little arms, you know, you could, you, she looked like a, a drug addict that you would see walking down the street, a crack addict, you know what I mean? And her, you know, her, her, she, her face was, was just skin and bones. And I, I tell you, it was, it was just one of the saddest things I ever, I ever saw in my life. And so, you know, she's trying to convince everybody she doesn't do drugs. Of course, that's where she made one of her famous statements. She said, you show, show me a receipt from a drug dealer that I've ever bought drugs. I'm thinking, man, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Drug dealers don't write receipts because that would put them in jail. But anyhow, uh, so she's going through this whole thing. And so at the end of the interview, as they're closing up, all of a sudden she jumps in. And she says, I just want you to know, no matter what you hear, no matter what you think, I know that God loves me. And I remember turning to my wife and just saying, you know something? I hope she does know that God loves her. But I hope she also knows that God loving her will not get her off drugs. You know, faith works by love. God works by love. And so when we understand the love of God, then we can trust him. Now, if we really have faith, one of the things you have to understand, in the New Testament, uh, if you do research in any really good uh, Greek book, Greek language book, uh, you will see that 
believing and obeying are so linked together that there is no New Testament concept of believing something that you don't obey, because the real truth is, whatever you believe is what you do, whether you call it obedience or whether you call it how I function, it doesn't matter. Uh, you obey what you believe. And so when you believe some truth about God, you're going to obey it. When you believe that when God tells you something is for your benefit, you're going to obey it if you believe it. But see, people believing that, that God loves them. And by the way, let me say something. In the Hebrew and in the Greek of the New Testament, it's kind of an interesting concept because, you know, Jesus loved Judas. And when you go back and, and, and you look at it in our John class through Impact International School of Ministry, in our John class, I bring this out continuously, is that the problem, though, was Jesus had agape for Judas. Now, when the love of God is perfected in us, which means you believe it, you receive it, but also there's a difference between understanding the word love as a noun and the word love as a verb, because the word love as a noun means to value, to hold in high regard, and to consider precious. So that's how God relates to us. He values us so much that he sent Jesus. He holds us in high regard. We are precious to him. He wants to bring us into kingdom living. You can get saved and still not be in kingdom living. Uh, kingdom living is all about how we respond to his love and to his and to his promises and what he has done for us in Jesus. So it says that Jesus agape uh, Judas. But see, the problem is the Greek word for friends, phileo, Jesus and Jesus weren't friends. Jesus and John were friends. And that really astounded me the first time I ever saw that in original language. But see, friends have a relationship. Friends treat each other respectfully. Friends actually express value and a high regard and preciousness for people. So the fact that God loves us doesn't really mean anything for us. It means he's there. He's available. He's going to be merciful. He's always going to be patient. And he's always going to seek to help us. But if we're not friends, we never get involved with him. If we're not friends, we don't tell them the truth. We don't, we don't really care much about him. We don't really care about the relationship. So, you know, I looked at my wife and said, I hope she does know that, that God loves her. But until she starts loving God, uh, that God loving her isn't going to help her one, one iota. And I'll never forget, you know, 10 years later, watching the, you know, the, news flash come up on the screen that she had that they just found her in a hotel dead and you know i just remembered thinking about that how many people do i know in the world that will they they will stay in sin not not because they, they're really legalistic they think they're not but they have a legalistic concept of sin and really a legalistic concept of god even though they don't think they do and uh they're not looking to be a friend of god they're just sort of like, well, God loves me, so everything's all right. That's sort of like a cheating husband saying, you know what? I know my wife loves me, so pff, I can get by with this. That's not a relationship. That's not, that's not a friendship. That's not a romance. I mean, that's not anything beneficial. So, so uh, uh, God loves us 
because he loves us, we encounter mercy, but mercy does not give us the strength to overcome sin. Now, Jesus, the Bible says he was covered over with grace. Well, how, how does grace work? Where does it come from? Grace is a work of the Holy Spirit that happens in our heart because we believe some, you know, the truth about God. We believe the, you know, that Jesus can lead us into victory. We believe all those things. And so then grace is not the same as mercy. Grace is not the same as compassion. You know, mercy is closer to compassion. Grace is not, you know, total acceptance. Uh, grace functionally is a strength, a capacity, and an ability that comes by unmerited favor that works in our heart that makes us able. Able to do what? Able to be and do everything God says that we can be and do. Now, listen, I'm going to read this, this really, really quick. By the way, let me, let me just say this. Since Jesus won every battle, he's the only one that can lead us into victory in every single battle. Now, any priest representing man before God must be a man. He must have faced the same challenges that all men face, and he must have won those, won those battles. And so this not only as a man, it assures us that he can be merciful and compassionate. But as a victor, it means that he knows the way out and he can give us a strength. Verse 5 says, every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now, Jesus offered a sacrifice for sin, his own body. Uh, and then it says, so you understand, he can have compassion, and he goes on to say, he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to this same weakness. So you realize that coming before the throne of grace, I can come boldly because I don't have to be afraid. Jesus has faced these same temptations, but uh, I can not only get mercy, which makes me bold to come before God, it keeps me from being afraid and running away, but I can get grace to help in my time of need. Mercy doesn't help you overcome the need. Mercy helps you come confidently before God himself and know that he's going to love you. He's going to accept you. But even more than that, he is going to get you out of this horrible situation that you have gotten yourself into. Now, I'm going to share some more with you in upcoming weeks. And probably, you know, I will cover a lot of this in the audio series. I will cover a lot of this uh, in, in the other video series. But I, I want you to make these distinctions between mercy and grace. And I want you, you know, if, if everything you're looking for is mercy, 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 well, then you may find yourself slipping into that mentality that says, really, I just, I just want to go and get by with this stuff. I, I just want to know that God's not going to hurt me. Well, he, he's not going to hurt you. But I tell you what, what sin will do, sin will hurt you. It will destroy you. It will steal your life. It will steal your joy. It will steal your peace. But I tell you what grace will do, grace will give you the power and the capacity of God. And it works in your heart. Now, remember, when you believe something in your heart, uh, then whatever you believe becomes effortless. So I want you to know there's effortless victory for you. Share this with everybody who you know that needs it, and I will talk to you next week. 
Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers Podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.